Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. One, we are going to overview this evening the books uh, from Romans to Thessalonians, uh, the Lord willing, these being the letters to the churches um, uh, given to us by inspiration of God and through the penmanship of the Apostle Paul. And so we're grateful for that. While you're turning there, uh, got to preach to a good group of uh, kids this morning over at Temple Baptist uh, or Temple Christian School, and I get to preach over there every once in a while, and always just thankful for uh, the good group of kids that are over there and attentive to the Word. Um, you might pray for them. They recently lost a, I believe it was a 14-year-old young man that had attended there, and uh, so I heard that when I walked in there, and the Lord had me just uh, direct the message um, from Ecclesiastes, something I preached here a couple weeks back and really challenge the kids to be thinking soberly about their, their lives as they go through this difficult uh, time. But anyway, I'm thankful for what God is doing over there. I had a picture here, um, Brother Gordon. That's Gordon Dixon. Brother, did you go to college with him? Okay. Uh, anyway, he's been pastoring up there for a good long time, but uh, certainly appreciated being able to be up with them. And, uh, you know, in these opportunities, uh, it is, uh, we go representing what God is doing here and thankful for what God is doing here and uh, so, thank you for these opportunities to encourage other people and to uh, bring greetings from you all. Romans chapter number 1 and verse number 16, uh, the, the wonderful verse, very familiar. Uh, Paul says this, I am not ashamed, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. What a tremendous individual uh, is the Apostle Paul. God rescued him out. Galatians tells us, rescued him from being a persecutor to being a preacher of the church. The Bible says, as people heard his story, they glorified God in him. They saw in him this wonderful story of what God could do. And what we're going to overview here tonight, we're going to see that God used this man, this, this persecutor turned preacher, uh, to write down for us inspired scripture, preserved scripture for us uh, to be able to continue to benefit from today. And God used all of his, his knowledge, his, his education, though God had to shift some of that. He brought him to the backside of the desert for about uh, three years to, to, uh, to retrain him uh, in, in right doctrine, in correct uh, scriptural doctrine. But God was going to use all that Paul was to be a blessing to the church then, but also to the blessing uh, to us as the church, uh, church today. And that was his heart. What we just read was his heart. That's what he was all about. He was not ashamed at all of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to follow that pattern, don't we? And especially in this day of darkness, we need to make sure that we're not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a decision. Even today, you know, I was driving in uh, into a, a shopping center and I saw a, a large group of of Amazon workers, they were all huddled, and it looked like they were just kind of waiting around till, uh, until the many gray, uh, gray, vehicle, you know, gray vehicles came available. You know, I ever see those, just the, uh, the caravan of, of gray, gray vehicles now. But anyway, they're waiting around, and on my heart, it's like, you ought to go over and, and talk to them. 
give them all tracks. And I was like, oh, I don't have enough good news, but I had those little, uh, little uh, business size. And in my heart, I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, you know, maybe they're, they're getting ready and you know, you're going back and forth like that. And finally, I just took the step and started walking over to them. And uh, by the time I got over there, I think they were in a meeting, but they were all very, very receptive and uh, gave some of the, um, the tracks off and, and they started passing them out. And, and uh, I said, you know, Jesus is the most important thing in, in the world. And so I got to witness to them for just a, uh, for a bit. But you know, it, it, is, it is a choice. In that moment, it, it's a choice. You know what? We have to make the choice to do it. And Paul was that, that type of individual. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And always lifting up Jesus, always lifting him up. And uh, we have plenty of opportunity to do that in this day. Paul was focused on helping people come to Christ. And even as we're going to notice here in this very first um, book that we're going to overview, Paul dealt with what is justification by faith. Uh, really just laying that out in a very clear and, conci- and concise manner. So as we've studied the Gospels, those really focus on the, on the life and ministry of Jesus. The Acts is the mission of Jesus continuing on through the, um, by the Spirit of God. Uh, through the church, through us, and so that's going on. But now we're getting towards, okay, uh, taking the doctrines or the truths that we've been learning at the first part of the New Testament and explaining them out, really adding flesh to, the, um, flesh to these doctrines and to these truths that would help the church to go forward. So let's look at Romans and notice how it is a systematic layout of the doctrine of justification by faith. Now we're going to break it apart here in a bit, but it really is just that. If we can take the high view of Romans, it is, is this doctrine, justification by faith. Now I asked my kids, we were on our way to a funeral yesterday and we were listening to the book of Galatians. And, uh, and so I was stopping and asking them, and this word justified comes up uh, from time to time. So I asked them, what does justified mean? There's a good, there's a good, uh, there's a song. Have you heard that song? It's a good song. So just as, and just as if I've never sinned, what's, what is the, that's a great way of remembering, what is the, what is the, the strict definition? To be declared righteous. So uh, justice is when something has been made right, okay? Justified to be, uh, to be made righteous. So we are declared righteous. Jesus takes our sin and he gives us his righteousness. We have his imputed righteousness, right? So he takes our rap sheet, from our file, that's put to the cross. His righteousness is put in our file, and we're declared righteous, we are made righteous. That's a positional truth. So uh, justification by faith, not by works, but by faith. And so Paul's laying that out. He's laying out this wonderful picture of that. The gospel doctrine that produces, uh, produces, yes, it gives salvation, but also is to produce a right way of living is to change our lives. And so you'll find that even as we get to the end of uh, the book of Romans, that it's not just doctrine, uh, but it's also practice as well. And so both, um, both of those concepts are there in the book of Romans. So it's written about 57 AD, during, probably during uh, Nero's first year of reign, uh, right before the oppression really begins to bear down hard on the believers. And uh, Paul was writing to the Christians in that, in that church, in that area, and, uh, and he didn't start that. It's probably, uh, probably a church that was started uh, as a result of what happened at Pentecost. So he's writing to these believers. He's helping them understand uh, this big doctrine of justification by faith. And uh, so it's really a, a clear, very thorough, uh, well laid out. You can kind of think, uh, you see Paul's ability just to reason through things uh, very clearly 
uh, and as he reasons all this out, as he declares all this out of justification by faith. Let's break it apart for, for a moment. Uh, part number one, there's five parts of, of um, the book of Romans, and uh, easily broke down this way. The first part is sinfulness of mankind. And you find that even in Romans 1 and verse number 20. Why don't you turn there with me? You're already in that general area. But Romans 1 and verse number 20 tells us, For the invisible things of him from creation, uh, the creation of the world are clearly seen, being, underst- uh, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Excuse of what? Well, because when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart, hearts were darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. They changed the glory of the uncorruptible God and the image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, so they, they became idolatrous. Wherefore God uh, gave them up unto uncleanness through their lust, and goes on down through their how that God has just given them over to sin, but it goes down through what, what we could consider to be a spiraling down of, of, of sin. When a person gets on this, this track of rejecting God, they go to the worst imaginable depths of sin. And by the way, if you read down through the rest of there, you can see even how our nation has, as it's rejected God, is going through that spiral of, of sin. And it happens over and over and over again. But it all starts with an ungrateful ungrateful spirit towards God. Uh, and that's, that's a pretty amazing thing. It seems like gratefulness, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal. It is. And it, it really, a lot starts from there. And so the sinfulness of mankind, Romans 3 and verse number 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. And that's underscored in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So part number two is really salvation by grace. Turn to chapter four with me. Um, what shall we say then? that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. For if Abraham were justified by works, made right by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. So if he was, if he was made righteous before God by his works, well, he's going to be able to glory, but not in God's eyes. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. The idea of imputed righteousness. A righteousness was given to him. Now, to him that worketh is not the reward reckoned of grace, but of debt. Um, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so we get into this whole concept that salvation is by grace. It's not something that we um, that we work for. It is by grace. Uh, and so that is the the the, the totality of chapters four and five. Look at ver- on chapter five. There be, therefore being justified by faith, therefore being justified by faith, and so salvation by grace through faith. And part number three is sanctification by grace. So just like we're saved by grace, so aren't we sanctified? Now what is sanctification? What's the word sanctified? Set apart. Set apart from? From sin and this world to Jesus Christ, okay? And we're not just set apart, you know, to be a part of a, you know, a social club. We're set apart from sin to Jesus Christ. There is a sense where that's happened positionally. We are, we, we've been set apart, that we've been sanctified. Um, but there's also the, the sense where this is progressive. This is happening in our lives right now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for the fact that I am 
completely righteous before God. But this is in practical, in my day-to-day life, this is being worked out. And that's what Romans 6 through 8 is all about. Look at Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin, separated from sin, live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. Skip down. The Bible tells us in verse number 11, likewise reckon yourselves uh, um, to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And he's telling us, listen, you need to reckon, uh, reconcile, you need to reckon yourselves, you need to count yourselves as being dead to sin and alive unto Christ. Live that way, live that way, and yield your members unto God in that way. And so sanctification is, is something that happens by grace. God is, God is working this out in our lives, and I'm so grateful uh, for that. Chapter 8, verses 3 and 4 uh, notice uh, over here, for what saith the, what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And now I, we can't skip over that. That's really amazing that the, on the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Jesus coming and taking our place at the cross made it possible that God's righteousness um, uh, that he expects might be fulfilled in us by grace. I can't do that. You can't do that. But he did, and uh, he offers that to us. And so that, that being made practical in our lives, really, it, it, it's by grace. I can't work for that. It's something I have to allow him to do. I have to receive and allow him to do. I have to yield to him in that way. And so part number four, salvation of Israel. Notice Paul goes in chapter nine, if you'll look at it with me, verse number one, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness, and continual sorrow in my heart, for I wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. And this launches into this next section, these next three chapters, where Paul is just burdened about the need uh, for Israel to come to Christ. And they will come to Christ. They will. There's a day when, when they're going to look on him whom they've pierced, and they will believe in that day. But for right now, there's, there's been a setting aside. Why? Romans 11 and verse 11, I say then, how they stumbled that they should fall, God forbid, uh, but rather that, uh, that through their uh, fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Why? For to provoke them to jealousy. So why is God allowing this time? Well, they've, they've disobeyed, they've, they've rejected God, and through their fall, uh, salvation has come to the Gentiles for a time where God is working in their hearts. He's provoking them to jealousy uh, that they would one day receive him. And God is not done with Israel. God is not done in how we ought to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, how we ought to pray for them to accept the Prince of Peace. And uh, we still witness and we still pray for them, and, uh, but right now God is working in their hearts ultimately to bring them all to salvation and what a day that will be. And then part number five, salvation lived out. This is where it gets very practical. Chapter on 12 on going forward. So after he deals with the matter of salvation of, of the salvation of Israel, Chapter 12 opens up, I beseech you, therefore, after all this groundwork, after all this laying out of how we come to Christ, how we're justified and how we're sanctified, 
after all this theology is laid down, he gets very practical how salvation is expected to be lived out, chapter 12 going forward, and he begs us to be a living sacrifice to God, to give back to God, which is our reasonable, our intelligent service. Give back to him after he's done all this for you. Why would you not give your whole life back to him? And so he asks for us, he begs us to give back to him ourselves as a living sacrifice sacrifice and not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of mind and he goes through and begins to just uh describe what that looks like in chapter 12 chapter 13 uh he uh, instructs us how to interact with civil authority also how to interact with one another within the context of the local church to love one another to be uh, caring for one another chapter 14 continuing in that vein of thought to limit our liberties so as not to offend and be in a stumbling block to one another, chapter 15, to have like-mindedness among the brethren, which like-mindedness only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ as we're submitted to the Holy Spirit, and then he leaves chapter 16 with warm Christian greetings, where he's just uh, uh, giving concern and greeting on different people that had affected him and had, uh, he had ministered to, and he wanted just to point out, and we even just sense the, the warm heart of the Apostle Paul and the Lord wanting us to know that there at the end of uh, chap uh, chapter 16 of Romans. So that leads us to Corinthians. And so we're going to group these, bo um, these books together. Corinthians, really, uh, if you want to theme the two together, is uh, practical Christian living and ministry. Practical Christian living, really, 1 Corinthians, and ministry, 2 Corinthians. And so uh, Paul wrote uh, to Corinth. They, uh, some say uh, four times, only two of the letters are preserved for us in Scripture, given to us in, in Scripture, and uh, wrote from his heart um, four years prior to writing, Paul was in Corinth, and he spent how many months there? Does anyone remember? 18 months there? I think, I think it's written down there, isn't it? So I couldn't ask. And so uh, th and there you go. Now you have it all down there. And uh, he was... He was in Ephesus and had been told of the problems that were going on in Corinth and begins to write this first letter. Now, if you could uh, describe the tone of 1 Corinthians um, in a word, how would you describe that? It's a letter of commendation. <laughs> uh, correction. Uh, you could say this, uh, uh, Corinthians is an apostolic intervention. I mean, he is coming, and he's going to deal with some problems and deal with it uh, in a severe way. There's all sorts of issues that have risen, and so he writes in about 55 AD, uh, just before leaving Ephesus, and as he gets in here, he's dealing with all sorts of problems, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 1, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as babes in Christ. There you go. What a wonderful way to, uh, to greet a church. I can't talk to you as a spiritual group of people. I'm talking to you as carnal, fleshly, flesh-driven uh, people. And uh, what, a, what a corrective uh, uh, note there. And obviously, even as the, uh, the Apostle Paul corrects them, his heart is that they'd be right. Even when God corrects us, his heart is that we be right. There's always, there's always that desire, uh, come back, come back. And so uh, God is correcting through the Apostle Paul, through, uh, through uh, using him to correct this church, the problems that had gone on in the church. Uh, there's pagan practices of, uh, uh, that were in Corinth and just accepted in the culture of Corinth had been infiltrating the church. And uh, I don't know if you see any correlation uh, to today 
but there is all sorts of uh, pagan practices that are infiltrating the church. And I'm not just talking about uh, you know, standards and so on. I'm, I'm talking far beyond that, even ideologies. Humanism has impacted uh, the church more than we realize, making it all about me. You know, the church is all centered around me. I am the God everyone should worship. Everything should center around me. Uh, consumerism. I shop for a church, for what I want in a church. Not, not whether the word of God is, is taught there, uh, not whether we can gather with other believers and encourage one another. I shop for a church. Does it have this program, this program, and this, uh, this uh, nicety? Does it, you know, um, padded, whatever? Uh, I shop for a church. We have, we have allowed the American consumeristic mindset um, to infiltrate the way that we view church. And so all that's infiltrated. And uh, so there were all sorts of stuff going on there in Corinth. There was division and, and disunity. There was sexual fornication and morality. There were legal problems. Uh, the church members were taking each other to court. Isn't that a great thing? Yeah, I go to such and such church. And, uh, and they're taking each other to court. There's misunderstandings of marriage and singleness, chapter 7. Uh, he's, uh, there's, 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 they're too comfortable with one another, and Paul has to come along and say, uh, you know, hey, hey, God, it's not good for a man to touch a woman. You know what? That actually means what it says. It really does. And, you know, less people try to get in there and, you know, say, you know, it's, it's all right. You know what? I am thankful for parents and a pastor that taught me, uh, keep your hands off. And uh, you know, even to the, this day, that passage of Scripture in specific is one of the reasons I didn't touch my wife ahead of marriage, other than to put an engagement ring on. And I have no problem saying that, and there's a whole lot of problems when we get really comfortable with one another uh, when we shouldn't. And uh, so I ask my kids sometimes, you know what, uh, do you, have a, you, know, you understand why this is important? He said, would it be all right if I went up to Miss So-and-So in the church and just put my arm around her? Would that be all right? Why is it okay ahead of marriage? And so Paul was dealing with this uh, in chapter 7. It's not good for a man to touch a woman. Uh, there ought to be properness. There ought to be propriety between the genders. And uh, even with singleness, uh, just because a person's single doesn't mean they can't be used of God. Right? And uh, we got in our mindset, you know, you got to be married in order to be. No, Paul says, I, I wish that you were as I was. And, and, and Paul had uh, the uh, singleness as a, as a gift and was, uh, was serving the Lord in a great way. There was a misuse of gifts going on. There was a malpractice of the Lord's table. They were all, all coming to the Lord's table, and they were uh, fighting over it and making it a point of, you know, who has more and everything. He said, no, 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 you eat at home. And then come celebrate the Lord's table, chapter 11. And uh, there was disorder in worship. They were speaking in tongues and not interpreting. And so he's like, people are going to walk in here and they're going to think you're crazy or mad. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that still happens today just um, without the use of real languages. Uh, it, ha it happens in a very disorderly way. And so uh, he gives all this. He's correcting all these issues. Now, after he sent the first book of Corinthians, uh, he heard word from Titus. He got a good report. And so we find 2 Corinthians, which is a much more pleasing letter. And so if you look at 2 Corinthians for a moment, and I want to draw your attention, because in the first chapter here of 2 Corinthians, there was a little bit of a, um, uh, there was a little pushback because he had promised to come. He was wanting to come, but it wasn't able to. And and there was a little pushback, and even uh, pushback on, on his gifting and who he was as an apostle. And, uh, and he talks about how they, um, that 
that, um, that their faith, the end of chapter number one, didn't stand in them. They were helpers of their joy. Look at verse number 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are helpers of your joy, for by faith ye stand. And so there was some criticism that was going on. He deals with that criticism, but then just underscores the fact, listen, I'm just sent by God to help you along in your faith. You stand by faith. The stand, your position has to be taken on your own by faith. I'm just here to help you along. And so he launches from there into really just uh, affirming his love towards them, his desire not to make them sorry, overly sorry. Look at chapter two and verse two. For if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh you glad, but the same which uh, uh, is made sorry by me. And so he, he gets into trying to heal them, getting a little bit pastoral and continues to deal with uh, things that are specific to, uh, to operating in the church. He deals with matters of generosity, financial stewardship, grace giving, Christian living. And so he's really just dealing to matters that are pertinent to them going forward as a church and ministering as they need to. And that's a, a quick overview of 2 Corinthians. But uh, whereas the first one was very much uh, confrontational, dealing with sin problems, then uh, the other one was very comforting and helpful and uh, really would equip them in going forward and trying to help them uh, do ministry in the right way. Let's jump to Galatians. Galatians um, is a, one of the uh, epistles and um, is super helpful because as you think of Galatians, there was a problem, there was, a, there was an issue that had risen in the church. The Judaizers had come in and they had started to uh, say, you need, a, you need to follow the law and uh, you need to add this to your faith, and so on, and which was true legalism, right? And in the truest sense of the word, it's adding to something to, adding something to Jesus Christ for salvation. And so if you could give a theme to the book of Galatians, it really is a defense of justification by faith. What Paul laid out systematically in Romans, uh, he is really taking up controversially in, in, uh, in Galatians, he's dealing with an issue that had really risen up, and he was, he was taking a strong stand for the gospel. Uh, if you could think, Galatians is not really a book that is uh, very cheerful. Again, it is, it is confrontational. It's very stern. It's straightforward, and it's a necessary warning to the church, don't be moved to another gospel. And uh, he even, he says, he, he marveled in verse number six, I marveled that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there are be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And he says, even though an angel should come to you uh, and give you another gospel, don't go that way. Don't go that way at all. And so he has taken a strong stand for the gospel. He asks in, uh, in Galatians 3 and verse 3, are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect in the flesh? And he begins to deal with the whole doctrine of sanctification as well, not just the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of sanctification. And he's saying, listen, you got saved by faith. You're also going to be sanctified by faith. And so he deals with that matter and challenges them in chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back into the law. Now, here's the thing. Galatian brings out very well that the law is, well, you, you remind me, what is the law? Is a schoolmaster, what's its job? to bring you to salvation. Even in, in Galatians, it tells us without the law, we don't have knowledge of sin. 
So the law points out our sin. It exposes our sin. The law is not the problem. Our heart is the problem. <laughs> By the way, uh, it's sinful man uh, struggles with that, right? That's the law's problem. You know, no, the law just simply exposes our problem. And so the law exposes my sin that brings me to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the law is a schoolmaster. Why is it important to include the law or the, uh, the, the commandments, the law of God, into your salvation um, uh, presentation, your giving of salvation, or uh, of the gospel? Why is it important? Because without the law, no one knows that they have a need for Jesus Christ. So uh, the Ten Commandments taking the word of God and helping people to understand, yes, I am sinful before a holy God and I need Jesus Christ. And so the focus of Galatians is really defending uh, justification by faith. It is, it is a, a book that focuses on uh, living by, by grace. Uh, and so uh, it is defended, it's explained, it's applied into our lives, and we even see that, especially in the last chapters of um, the last chapter of Galatians. Ephesians focuses in on the, the church, on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's much in, uh, in the chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1 and verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward that believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at, the own, at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above principalities and powers and dominions and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all and all. Uh, in all. And so it is a book that is focused on uh, the church and explaining that. It's a beautiful um, picture of that. But it does, again, deal with our position as believers, as being saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So the first three chapters really deal with our position as believers in Christ and who we are with him, how we are accepted and beloved, how we sit with him in heavenly places, a beautiful picture. But then also we get to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4 with me of Ephesians. And notice how it starts off. So similar to, uh, to uh, Romans, how it, the first 12, or the first 11 chapters deal with uh, sanctifi- or justification and sanctification, then get to the practical in chapter 12. So here in Ephesians, the first part, very doctrinal. The second part, very practical. And verse number one of chapter four, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, doesn't that sound familiar? Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. And so over and over, as you, uh, as you go through here, over the next three chapters, he's dealing with our walk, our practical walk, living out the salvation that we've received, living it out in, uh, in, in our daily lives. And in chapter four, he gets into the matters of the, the gifts that are given to every believer to function within the context of the local church. He's given pastors and uh, the apostles and, and prophets and uh, pastors and teachers and evangelists for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. He deals with how the church works together as a body cha- on chapter four and verse number 16. And he deals with these matters, how they are to all work together inside the context of the church. And so there's also another Another theme or another common theme in the book of uh, Ephesians, and that is that of uh, our riches or our wealth in Christ. You're not poor tonight. You are wealthy in Christ. 
And uh, that's not talking about finances. That is talking about um, uh, heavenly blessings. In Ephesians 1 and verse number 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what, uh, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And seven times throughout the book, the riches that we have in Christ are mentioned. Beautiful, beautiful thing that we have. And, and when you start to get down in the mouth about maybe what you don't have, just think about how rich you are in, in Jesus Christ. Philippians brings us to the theme of joy. Joy. God wants us to be joyful. And I, I don't know about you, there's sometimes it's easier to be joyful than others. Are you with me? And uh, I'm really convicted when I read Galatians and find that joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit and uh, maybe sometimes how, uh, how non-spirit-filled I am when I, when I lack joy. Uh, I don't know about you, but that, that hits me a little bit hard. But uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2 tells us to fulfill, uh, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Now, there was a division that was in the church at Philippi. Um, there were two, uh, two individuals who had taken up issue with one another. They weren't getting it right, and it had, had caused a problem within the church. And uh, forgiveness and restoring a relationship is, is right. You know something, that you can, you can have an issue with somebody else within the body of Christ, within a local assembly, and you say, well, I just won't hang around that person. Do you know what that's going to do? It's eventually going to corrupt you, and it's going to hurt you, and eventually you will find yourself departing um, because you cannot, you cannot let an issue uh, fester. You have to deal with it. And that's what Paul is dealing with here. It will rob you of your joy. It will rob you of your passion for the Lord. It will rob you. And uh, what Paul is saying to them is absolutely bears out today. And you might think, well, I just, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that issue. But you have to. You have to deal with the issue uh, in order to have joy. And so the, he says, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded. And what was, what was going to ultimately give them joy to have the same mind of Jesus? Uh, Philippians 2 and verse number 5, it says uh, that we are to uh, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, a mind of humility. And yes, it does take, uh, when we're getting right with one another, it does take great humility. And sometimes it takes humility. Have you ever gotten into the middle of a, a relational problem and realized, you know, I don't, I don't even know why we're upset at one another. We're just upset, and there's a, a, a moment where you just have to say, I'm sorry. Can we, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? And can we just move on? Because I, I don't know what's going on here, but we just need to be done with this. And uh, it takes humility. And Jesus modeled humility for us. But that joy that we can have comes from having the same mind as the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that was really the focus of, of Philippians. Colossians uh, brings us to the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. That there's nothing more needed in our lives but Jesus Christ. Uh, chapter uh, 1 and verse 16, For by him were all things created that were in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. Just remember this. The powers that are, that are going on today were, were created by him. And uh, he has all power. He still has the last say. Uh, so we need to remember that all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist, they're all held together, and he is the head of the body, the church, 
who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so he is, he is supreme above all, above all powers, above all principalities, but within the church, within my life, and within our corporate assembly, he is supreme above, above all. He is God alone, and we must recognize that. Uh, Colossians 2 and verse number 10 uh, Paul reminds the believers that, that he is sufficient for their needs, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principalities and powers. You're complete in him. You don't need anything else. <laughs> Jesus is it. Jesus is enough. And uh, what a message the church needs today. We don't need, more, uh, we don't need more things added into our lives. We need Jesus. And uh, how important it is for us to come to that realization and then that brings us to Thessalonians, which these two books really focus on the end times and uh, helping us to understand our need to live faithful during these, uh, during these end times as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, these two epistles have been called es eschatological uh, epistles, the, um, them grouped together. So if you want to jump into some of the study of the end times uh, and what is coming, our hope, and how we ought to be living during these days, these are great books uh, to be looking into. The second coming of Christ is mentioned in every chapter uh, of these epistles. And so it's a, it's a main and dominant theme. Now, as we think about this, we break it down into two sections according to two books. Uh, First Thessalonians really deals more with the rapture uh, that is coming, and we find that in First Thessalonians 4 and verse number 13. I uh, just read this um, verse at the graveside of Miss Joanne, and uh, it, it uh, really just, just reminding us that we don't sorrow as others sorrow, and, and Paul did not want them to be ignorant about those which die. Uh, we were at a funeral uh, yesterday, and uh, my, my youngest, Savannah, was just, just really, I guess it was her first funeral uh, that she saw a, a body at. And uh, so she was just really struggling. And in fact, she said um, as she was there, she goes, he's going to wake up and say, surprise! And, uh, and that would have been a very, that that's came from a two-year-old's mind. That, that's, that, um, she didn't say that out loud in the funeral service, so thankfully, <laughs> thankfully that didn't happen. But um, uh, he says here, those that sleep in Jesus. So we were trying to help her <laughs> understand. You're getting a tickle out of that. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, some of the questions that were coming out of her mind. No, he is not just sleeping. He's not going to wake up and say surprise. Uh, but he is, he is dead, and, uh, and he's sleeping in Christ. And so uh, he, he says here in chapter 4 and verse number 13 how that we don't sorrow even as others uh, sorrow which have no hope. And then he launches in, they're going to be raised first and then those which are alive and remain shall be caught up. There's our word for rapture. Rapture doesn't occur in scripture, but the concept caught up together with them in the air and so shall they ever be with the Lord in the air. And so uh, we are to comfort one another with the, with the, with the truth that we will one day uh, be caught up together with the, uh, those that are resurrected in Christ, and that's a wonderful thing. Second Thessalonians deals more with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So after, after the tribulation uh, and the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes to earth to set up his, his rule. And Second Corinthians, uh, Thessalonians 2 and verse 2, that ye uh, be not soon shaken in your mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, um, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no uh, man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there uh, come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who's the man of sin? 
the Antichrist and except he be revealed. So the second coming doesn't happen unless he is, uh, unless he is revealed. When is he revealed? Tribulation. He signs a covenant. At the midpoint of the tribulation, he breaks that covenant with Israel. And, uh, and he, he offers himself up. He, he expects them to worship him. And at that point, they realize they've, they've signed a covenant with the wrong person. He isn't the prince of peace that they want. And, uh, but the prince of peace is coming very soon. And he will, uh, he will, at that second coming, he will come and annihilate all the armies of the world at the Battle of Armageddon. He will set up his, his rule and it will be for 1,000 years. And so that's really the focus of Second uh, Thessalonians. Other concepts are in these books, but that's the main focus. So here's, here's what I want us to leave with tonight. What is needed for every one of these churches that just got a letter from the Apostle Paul from God was the Word of God. Over and over, all the way through, the, on the, all the way through these books, we find uh, verses such as, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And it is just underscored over and over. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Word of God is what changes you. Faith comes by hearing. The Word of God is what changes you. Um, 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse number 13. It was the word of God that they received. They didn't receive it as the word of men, but they received it as the word of God, which is able to change you. And it, and it was the word of God that the churches needed. And so God was very specific in, uh, by the Holy Spirit, moving along, bearing along the Apostle Paul to pin down these, these words that God wanted us to know uh, as churches. And they're still relevant uh, and very important for us today. And uh, we can gain so much from them. And it is our sole authority for faith and practice. This is the word of God. And uh, it's given to us. And uh, there's even some today that would discount the, the writings of the Apostle Paul. That's one of those, those uh, theories or doctrines that's floating around out there. Don't listen to them. This is the word of God. It's given to us. And it's given to us for our instruction. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so we, uh, we receive it with gratefulness tonight. And so I hope that something said here tonight helps you to put these things in order in your own Bible study. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and uh, how you cared for uh, churches like ours uh, to give us give um, these books, these epistles, uh, very practical dealing with issues. And Lord, you know that sometimes your body uh, is messy and we don't, we, don't always, we don't always do that which would please you and Lord, I'm thankful that your word addresses those issues, uh, even down to our own forgiving of one another and how it addresses those things. So help us to be uh, a church that always responds to your word and even prepare our hearts towards the Lord's day, Lord, uh, that we would be ready to receive uh, the, the word um, with meekness and allow it to be engrafted into our hearts and change our living so that we might bear fruit that would, uh, would bless you and, and please you. We love you, Lord, tonight. Certainly thankful to gather together. Please uh, give people safety as they travel home this evening, the buses. We ask that you would be glorified in our church through the rest of this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for this episode, and please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online 
at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for checking out this episode. I look forward to having you join us again right here on the Grace Baptist Church Podcast.